and good morning, Cornerstone people and friends. It's so good to be here with you today. Thank you, worship band, for leading us. Thank you all for singing. By the way, you are allowed to sing as loudly as you possibly can. I just want you to know that. We don't mind that. Even if you can't sing very well, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? It'll be okay. It might throw off everybody for three rows ahead of you, but just, just go ahead, belt it out. Well, it is this, it's the time in our service where we turn our attention to Scripture, to preaching it, hearing it, reading it first. And so I'm going to read a portion. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It will help you this morning to track along in the sermon if you have a Bible there with you. So maybe your app on your device, maybe one of the red Bibles in the chair in front of you. I almost said pew, but it's a chair. Or uh, maybe you brought a... a, 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 a copy of the Bible in paper. How many of you still have those? I hope you all still have those. All right, maybe you brought one of those. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 1 today. I think this will be our last day in chapter 1. And here we're reading the Word of God, the words of Moses to the people. He's describing now to the second generation of those who came out of Egypt, those who came out in the Exodus. He's describing to that second generation what happened with the first generation. So here it is. Yet you would not go up. Got a pause there. So God had revealed himself to them in amazing ways down in Egypt. And ever since, God had told them, go in and take the land. I will be with you. They said, no, we're scared. Let's send in spies. The leadership said, okay, send in spies. The spies brought back a good report. The land is a wonderful land. Let's go in and take it. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than thee. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet, in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Let's read. Next slide is going to be Deuteronomy 1, 32 and 33. They're going to be kind of the, the key verses we want to keep in mind as we move through this sermon today. Deuteronomy 1, 32 and 33. Yet, in spite of this word... You did not believe. They were not believers. They didn't believe. The Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out of place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in a cloud by day to show you by what way 
you should go. This is God's word. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we gather in your presence and open your word together. We pray that you would speak into our souls, that you would save those who need to be saved, that you would sanctify those who need to be further made holy, and that you would cause us all to love and adore you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. For we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. All right, there are two things that I want to do up front. Once we've done these two things, then we'll move through the rest of the sermon by me giving you a point, looking at the verses, talking about it. A point, looking at the verses, talking about it. Seven points today, perfect number. But there are two things I want to do up front. And first is this, I want to impress upon us, I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he impresses upon us, he informs us that these things, the very things we're seeing in Deuteronomy chapter 1 today, these things are written for us. This is for us. So, so don't be like, why are we in Deuteronomy? That was a long time ago. It's ancient history. Why are you dragging us into there? Because the New Testament tells you these things are written for you. Let me show you that quickly. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, writes Paul, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Remember we just read about that? And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. They had Christ there with them. It was Christ who was leading them. It was Jesus Christ, God the Son, who was their shepherd in the wilderness. Nevertheless, writes Paul, with most of them, we're going to see this today, God was not pleased. Most of them. God was not pleased. They had Christ in the camp, Christ feeding them, Christ in a cloud, Christ in a pillar at night. They had Christ delivering them. Yet most of them, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So what we're about to see in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1, with these people not believing, being unbelievably blessed by God, like probably no one else on the face of the earth except those who saw Jesus Christ, and yet they did not believe. And Paul says, I want you to all take note because these things took place as examples for us. Footnote, is it okay to go look at Old Testament accounts and narratives and biography and preach about the people there and use them as examples? Yes, it's eminently right, it's eminently biblical in spite of the fact that there are theologians who call that exemplary preaching or moralism. No, it's good that we, that we understand these, these people, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. One more brief part, a little more from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 and 12. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There's Paul's summary statement. What should I get out of Deuteronomy chapter 1? If I think I stand, take heed lest I fall. 
And we're kind of, we're, that's kind of what we're going to be doing in the chapter today, speaking to people who think they stand and maybe be careful lest you fall. So that's one thing up front. This is not just a, ancient history. These things are written for us. Deuteronomy is written for us. God wants us to know and think about and respond to what happened right here in Deuteronomy chapter 1. A second thing up front. We're going to see in Deuteronomy chapter 1 today two kinds of people. Now, you've got to have this fixed in your head. And the two kinds of people are believers and not believers. Let me, let me clarify for you. Let me specify. What we're seeing in Deuteronomy 1 is not two kinds of believers, strong ones and weak ones. No, what we're seeing in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is two kinds of people, believers and not believers, or more specifically, believers and pseudo-believers. Phony believers, false believers, say-so-only believers. We're going to see that line of demarcation, those two kinds of people in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So that's, that's what the passage is here for. That's where we're going. We're going to be looking at true Christians and false Christians. Pastor Steve, why would you take the time to do that? Because there seems to be an unusually large heap of false Christians appearing in our time, in our land, in our churches, on the web, especially on the web web today. You remember several weeks ago I talked about the deconstruction movement, Christians who are deconstructing their faith. Some of them are grouping together and calling themselves ex-vangelicals. We once were, we no longer are. That's a growing thing right now. That's, that's an exponentially growing thing if you believe what you see on the web. So why are we talking about this? Because we really have in our day true Christians and phony Christians, false Christians. The whole point of the sermon is figure out which one you are and make sure you're in Christ. Make sure you truly believe in the Lord Jesus, believe and receive the word of God. So let's get started with our points. I told you now, next it'll be a point passage, talk about it. Point passage, talk about it. So here we go, point number one. Great blessing, we should learn this from Deuteronomy 1, great blessing from God does not always result in real, lasting, saving faith. So what I want you to see, what we're going to notice is God really blessed these people. He showered upon them unusual, great blessing. You would think that with all of that that God gave them and the ways he revealed himself and how he bared his mighty arm and delivered them and the miracles that, that were performed upon miracles upon miracles, you'd think this would result in all of them being real, lasting believers with saving faith in the rock, Jesus Christ. But no, as we already saw in Hebrews, with most of them, God was not pleased. And most of them are going to drop dead in the wilderness without Jesus Christ. Great blessing from God does not always result in real, lasting, saving faith. Where do we get that in the text? Well, we're going to see it in a little way with this point and a bigger way in the second point. Let's see the little way. Uh, Deuteronomy 1.9, Moses says, at that time, after we came out of Egypt, talking to the, about the first generation, at that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. And so because of that, he's going to appoint some other leaders, leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over, I believe it's tens, and so on. The point of the, what the passage that follows there is not about leaders, 
Like, I shouldn't be preaching to you about leadership. That's not developed at all. The point is, why does he bring this up? Why does he bring up the fact that he had to appoint leaders? He's saying, this is how much God blessed you. Do you remember the Abrahamic covenant? And God told Abraham, your seed are going to be like the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And Moses is saying, God has already been doing that. You're already, you've multiplied. You are as numerous as the stars of heaven. And the point is, look how God has been faithful to his covenant. Look how God does what he says. So believe him. Believe him when he says, now go in and take the land. There's a reason like this. Just as God multiplied us like he promised to Abraham, so God is now going to continue and give us the land as he promised to Abraham. Let's go in and take the land. That's what this is in there for. That's how they were supposed to reason. God blessed them greatly, but still it didn't result in real, lasting, saving faith. Let's look at it again. Um, but skip down to uh, chapter 1, verse 32. Sorry. Yet... In spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. In other words, they didn't reason, hmm, God blessed, he's fulfilling his covenant, he's keeping his word, he's already made us as numerous as the stars of the heaven, therefore I can believe him. I can fully follow him like Caleb does. The Caleb, Caleb's a hero in the story. I can believe God's word, I can act upon it. Where he leads me, I will follow. No, yet, in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Believing, seeing, experiencing great blessing from God does not always result in real, lasting, saving faith. Have you received great blessing from God? You have. You're in a church of Jesus Christ where we have the word of God. We read it. We sing it. We proclaim it to you. What an enormous blessing. What could be better on the planet? God has showered upon you enormous blessing. Would it be better to go to a golf game or something? I don't know if you play golf. Just looking at you. All right. Would a day in the park be better? Would you rather have a vacation to the Canadian Rockies up in a meadow in Jasper, Alberta, John Denver song? Would that be better? No. Nothing could be better than being at a, in a place on the planet where you hear the word of God, the gospel is presented, you're invited to Jesus Christ, your wives, your husbands, your children are called to Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important on the planet than that. You have great blessing from God, but it does not always result in real, lasting, saving faith. I ask you, do you believe? Do you really believe? Do you really believe the word of God? Are you saved? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? So that was point number one. Let's go to point number two. It builds on it. It expands on it. And seeing signs and wonders does not always lead to saving faith. Even, even if you could see amazing signs and wonders, you might, you might reason, man, if I, could just, if I could just see what they had seen, then I'd really be a believer. Then I'd really believe in God. I'd really follow the Lord Jesus Christ if I could just see some miracles. Seeing is believing, you might say. There's, there's a whole movement of Christian leaders leading this movement that's called the Signs and Wonders Movement. You heard of that? And the, the, the presupposition upon which they establish their movement is this. If we can show people signs and wonders, they'll believe. 
So for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of evangelism, we've got to have signs and wonders. And so they kind of produce signs and wonders that shouldn't be very impressive to rational human beings, my opinion. But seeing signs and wonders does not always lead to saving faith. Let's, let's see some more about what they had experienced, what, what we're reminded. You guys experienced this. Look at chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Now imagine that. Seeing is believing, they saw, but they didn't believe. Every day the fire led them. Every night, no, every day the cloud led. Every night the fire led them. Got to get that right. And yet they didn't believe. It gets worse. Peek over in chapter 4, starting in verse 33, Deuteronomy 4.33. What signs and wonders had they experienced, and what was their response? Deuteronomy 4, verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Moses is pleading with him, has anybody on the planet received such blessing as you, seen such signs and wonders and powerful deeds and miracles as you? No one. And yet back in 132, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe in the Lord your God. These people saw signs and wonders like nobody else yet did not believe. Seeing signs and wonders does not always lead to saving faith. You say, then what does a powerful, regenerating work of the Spirit of God in your soul? That's what leads to saving faith. The people who saw most of Jesus' miracles concluded he has a demon and he's insane. And they crucified him. They saw the Son of God, God the second person of the Holy Trinity, performing miracles and speaking words right in front of them, and they said, let's kill him. He has a demon. Signs and wonders don't lead people from non-belief to belief. Signs and wonders, by the way, primarily in Scripture, serve this purpose. They identify the truth of a new revelation to the people of God who have hearts for God. It's to guide them into this part right here. This is really God speaking, because look at what just happened. But these people had amazing exposure to signs and wonders, and they did not believe. 
kind of reminds me of what naturalists, anti-God naturalists say. I mean, they've actually said things like this. If there's a God, then why didn't, when we landed on the moon, why, why didn't we find a Bible open to John 3.16? Like, that would have proved to us, no, what would they have done? They would have said, it's the Russians. <laughs> or Elon Musk is up to some of his trickery, working with those Babylon B-boys. They're up to tomfoolery. They're up to their shenanigans. Seeing and experiencing miracles from God does not always lead to saving faith. A regenerating work of the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in a human soul, illuminating so that you see and understand and your chains fall off and your dungeon fills with floods with light. That does lead to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our second point. Let's go on to a third point. And here's another blessing they had. And I want to say this is a blessing. I'll stand right here and say it. Good, solid, biblical teaching and exhortation doesn't always lead to saving faith either. You might say, well, if we just had better preaching at Cornerstone, maybe I'd believe. Well, I pray that it would be so. But these people had Moses. They had Moses at the top of his game. They had Moses near the end of his life. They had Moses to whom God appeared and spoke face to face. He heard the words of God and delivered them to the people. They had Moses, a man who, by God's power, performed amazing signs and wonders and mighty deeds. They had Moses and still did not believe. Moses, the quintessential man of God on the planet. And let's notice how he exhorts them. Let's notice what kind of preaching Moses did. Let me just give you a few samples so that you'll see that good, solid, biblical teaching exhortation doesn't always lead to saving faith. Look at chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Moses says, And I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you, do not fear or be dismayed. They said, uh, can we send some spies? We fear and we're dismayed. Seeing is believing. We don't believe these words that this Moses, the man of God, is preaching to us. They were not believers. They were unbelievers. They were phony believers. They were false believers. Again, Moses preaches the same kind of stuff to them in chapter 1 and verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you and so on. They were conscious of the fact that they weren't battle-hardened warriors. And they knew that the Hittites and the everybody elseites were in the land. There were even big, giant Anakim people in the land. And so they're trembling about this. And, and he says, look, you don't even, this is what he's saying, and it comes up a number of times, you don't even have to know how to fight. Remember how they took Jericho? What did they do? They marched around the city seven times, blew their horns, and God caused the walls to fall down. 
And there were many other battles where God just sent confusion on the enemy or, or some kind of deception on the enemy, and they all left thinking they heard the Syrians' armies coming or something. And, and God's basically saying to them, look, don't you worry. I'm fighting for you. Just go where I tell you. And they were like, no, not me. I don't really believe that God. I don't really believe that man of God. I don't really believe Moses. You see, good biblical teaching and exhortation doesn't always lead to saving faith. Uh, Pastor Steve, are you saying you think we have that at Cornerstone? Yes, I do. But by the grace of God, we're blessed with quite a number of teachers. And one, another one's teaching downstairs right now. And we'll teach again in the second hour. And then we have groups meeting throughout the week. And there are faithful Bible teachers, men and women. We, we have that. But don't say to yourself, well, I'm in a church that has good and faithful Bible teaching and exhortation, and so I must be a Christian. No, verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Let's go on. A fourth statement, then some scripture, and then some talk about it. Fourth statement. Often... People who have those things, great blessings, signs and wonders, faithful Bible preaching and teaching, often people who have those things, here's how they respond. They rebel, they murmur, they reject, and they do not believe. Whew, that's a heap of terms. Where'd you get those? Well, they're right there in the text. Look at verse 26, please. Yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. God said, go in, take the land, don't worry about it, I will fight for you. They said, no. That's rebellion against God. And that's not all they did, verse 27. And you murmured. Murmur, murmur, murmur. It's one of those onomatopoetic words that sounds like the thing it describes, and you're over there in the corner going to, about God, murmur, 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 in English. And you murmured in your tents, and then look at the crazy stuff false believers imagine about God and his purposes and his motives. Verse 27, you murmured in your, tent, murmured in your tents, and you said, because the Lord hated us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. God hates us, and he's trying to kill us. Sounds like a teenager <laughs> to their mother or to their father. You hate me. You're trying to ruin my life. That's how these people were about God. They had Moses, the man of God. They saw signs and wonders like no one on the planet. They heard the voice of God out of heaven. They had the fire and the cloud to guide them. And their conclusion is, yeah, he brought us here, brought us here to bump us off. And he hates us. We won't take the time to read it, but we could peek ahead to chapter 4, 37 and 38, and chapter 7 and verse 8, where it says the exact opposite. The Lord your God brought you here because he loved you. They look at the love of God, and it looks murderous to them. They look at what God is doing, and it looks like he hates us. That's how dead in trespasses and sins, that's how darkened their foolish minds were apart from the illuminating ministry of the Spirit of God. People conclude all kinds of vain and ridiculous things about God. 
rebelling and murmuring and not believing. Again, verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe. They rebelled, they murmured, and they did not believe. You can just, you can hear them. Well, I don't like this about God. Well, I don't like that part of the Bible. Well, I don't like what he said to us about this. Well, I don't like that he wants us to go in there. I don't like that we have to go fight. Why do we have to go fight? I don't like that God, and the list could go on and on and on and on. And in our day, it's pseudo-believers telling us all the parts of the Bible they don't like. Why would God say that? It baffles me. I don't get it. I have people telling me things like that. Why would God? It reminds me of my first year at Washington Bible College. I had just been saved. I was hot off the press. Showed up at WBC. I had no idea what a shock, what a change in life was awaiting me. And they were booming that year. This was 72, August 27th, my birthday of 1972. My parents dropped me off at Washington Bible College, and there I was. And the place was booming because of the hippie revival thing going on. I was part of that deal. And so I was in a room that had been an office the prior year, but they quickly realized we need more space. And they turned this room into a dorm room, and there were five of us in there. Five guys. We called it a sand pit. It's what, that was our nickname for our room because one of our guys, Ivory Durr from Baltimore, worked at the, on the campus and worked in sand, and he would track it all into our room. And we kept finding all this sand on the floors, and eventually we, we, we traced it back to his boots. But anyway, I'm getting off the story. So there was one of, one of my four roommates. His name was Gary. He'd been raised in a Christian home, raised in a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, godly church, raised in that kind of a family and church. And yet just about everything that was taught in our classes at Washington Bible College, which was amazing. Like, I was amazed. What a blessing. I really get to be here? This is what I get to do for school? I get to learn about God and the Bible and Scripture and truth? I was just astounded all day, every day. And my roommate, Gary, just complained about everything. As astounded as I was, that's how complaining he was. Why would God do that? I don't see the truth in this part. I don't get why that part's in the Bible. No surprise, he didn't last. He lasted out the first year. And he's never come back to Jesus Christ. He was an ex-evangelical before it was the trendy thing to do. And there are so many people complaining, ex-evangelicals, why would God be against gay marriage? If they love each other, what could be wrong with that? Why would, I dare mention this one, why would God say the office of pastor is open only to biblically qualified males? Why would God, I, I don't get it. This is the rage in our day. It's all murmuring and disputing. It's all rebelling against God. The New Testament says, by the way, do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Now, I'm not saying that a Christian, a real fire-breathing, red-hot, Holy Spirit-saved believer can't murmur sometimes, right? You ever murmur? Tell the truth. Can, can a real believer murmur? Sure, a real believer can fall into anything sometimes. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is they were murmurers. It's what they did. It's their job description. It's their title. 
and they were murmuring about God. Here's a question for you. Are you murmuring about God? Are you rebelling about God and his morality and his truth? This God of the Bible, it's so oppressive. It's the most oppressive book on the planet. Are you rebelling and murmuring about the faith? Here's my advice to you. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, or to put that another way, join Murmurers Anonymous. Yeah, they have their meetings and you all sit in a circle and it's your turn to talk and you say, my name's Steve, man, I was a murmurer for 27 years. And the Lord got a hold of me and I've been clean from murmuring six months now. Everybody applauds. Way to go, man. That's my advice to you. Join Murmurers Anonymous and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But often people who have those things, great blessings, signs and wonders, great preaching and teaching, they rebel and murmur and reject and do not believe. Here's point five. Point five. Those who murmur about God's truth, let's just note this, will not go to heaven. I don't mean just a Christian who falls into a little murmuring once in a while. But I mean those people who say, oh, God, Bible, those who murmur about God's truth will not go to heaven, but those who wholly follow will. Look with me, Deuteronomy 1, 34 and 35. Moses says to the people, and the Lord heard your words, their rebelling words, their murmuring words, their doubting and unbelieving words. And the Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore, God speaks and takes an oath. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb and Joshua. But aside from those two, the whole multitude which, that, that was now like the stars of the heavens, you remember, and the book of Hebrews says, with most of them, that's an understatement. I'm not complaining about the author of Hebrews. With almost every one of them, God was not pleased. The ginormous blessing did not have hearts for God. And they're told, none of you shall see the good land. The good land is typical of. The good land is a type of. The good land stands in for. The equivalent in our day is, you won't see heaven. You're not a real believer. You don't receive God's word. Your heart isn't soft to him. His word does not go in. You haven't bowed the knee and confessed him as Lord. And just as they're not going to go in the land, so they're not going into heaven either. And neither are their present-day disciples going into heaven. But, boy, here's a breath of fresh air. But look at verse 36. Except Caleb the son of big name. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden. Why? Because he has wholly followed the Lord. And that, my friends, is Old Testament code terminology for he's saved. He's born again. He's regenerate. He has a circumcised heart. He has a new heart the kind that everybody who's in the new covenant has. And he receives the word of God and he bows the knee to Jesus Christ. And he isn't murmuring and he isn't complaining. He's saying, let's go guys. God said it. I believe it. 
Can you finish it with me? That settles it. Thank you. That failed. He was a believer. His, like when, when God is speaking, when Moses is preaching, his, his face says, right here, I'm loving it. Pour it in. Give me more. Let's do this again tomorrow. Caleb and Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Even Moses didn't get to enter because he was too associated with the first generation. He had to die with them. He believed, but he didn't even get to go into Canaan. He's in heaven, but he didn't get to go into Canaan. And to all such as Caleb... Let's hear what Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, this is to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. But oh, the first part, the mercy and the grace of God. And Caleb had located himself in it. And Joshua had located himself in it. And they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. My dear cornerstone friends, let's be sons and daughters of Caleb. Let's hold fast to the faith. Let's not be a casualty. Let's not be ex-evangelicals. Let's not deconstruct our faith. The older we get, the less we hang on to. Let's wholly follow the Lord all the way to the end without wavering. Let's finish strong, stronger than when we began. Not weaker. Well, once I was strong, but you know, the years, the doubt has eaten away at my faith, and now I'm all weak and decrepit and wobbly. No, I don't want to finish like that. I want to finish stronger than I began by the grace of God. And I hope you do too. What else do we see in our text? I've got to hurry on. Point number six, sometimes repentance is only, I'm sorry, I got in trouble. Please remove the, remove the painful consequences. So Moses called the people, let's go in, believe the Lord. They said, uh, we think we need to send them some spies. The spies brought back a good report. They said, we're still not going in because they also told us there are some big dudes in that land. And so we're all trembling. So, no, we don't want to, we're not going to go in. We're not going to go fight. And what happens? Let's go down to verse 41, chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 41. Then you answered me. So they got the penalty for refusing to go in. All right, none of you are going to see the land. Then you answered me, verse 41, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but rebelled against the command. First he commanded them, go in, and they rebelled. Now he's commanding them, don't go in, but now they want to go in, because it looks pretty juicy in there. And so now they're rebelling against the command don't go in. Whatever God says, they do the opposite. Whatever God says, they rebel. And they seem to repent. Oh, we're so sorry, verse 41. We have sinned against the Lord. 
We will go up. But their repentance was not true and godly repentance. We have violated the will of God. We have wounded our own consciences. We have grieved the Holy Spirit. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It wasn't that at all. It was, well, darn. Now that we think about it, we would like to have some of that land. So, all right, Lord, we'll go now. No, don't go. No, 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 we'll go now. Their repentance was not toward God. It was not a whole-souled turning. It was a shallow, worldly, sham repentance. It was only sorrow over the consequences. We see more about this in verse 45. And you returned and wept. They wept. They wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you because it was not tears of true repentance. It was, oh, no, I got caught. Oh, no, there are consequences. Dear God, we're so sorry for the consequences that you're going to give us. Please, can you remove them? And they wept. They wanted God to remove the consequences so badly. They didn't want God. They didn't want his lordship. They didn't want the will of God. They wanted God to give them the things that they wanted. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. I'll put it up for you. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. You won't regret losing the world to have Jesus Christ. You won't regret parting with that thing to, to be with Jesus Christ. You won't be like, yeah, but I wish I could go back. You won't be like Lot's wife who looked back longingly, wishing, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. No, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, that's what these people had, produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. That's what some Corinthians had done. That is not what our people in Deuteronomy 1 had done. They didn't have godly sorrow that leads to repentance. They had selfish sorrow that only wants the goods. Seventh and final point, and then some closing words. Seventh, in the New Testament, God uses Israel's failure to call us to real saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier we were in 1 Corinthians 10, now we're going to Hebrews 4. I'll read for you. Here's how God uses Israel's failure to call us to real saving faith in Jesus Christ. He says, Hebrews 4, 6, Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it. They didn't, so it remains. And those who formerly received the good news, that's them, failed to enter because of disobedience. Since all that happened, again, he appoints a certain day today. So this was today for the Hebrews, and this is today for you, and we have a certain day called today. He appoints a day, today, saying, through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So they didn't enter because they had hardened hearts, but today God speaks to you and says, don't harden your hearts, enter comes up once more in Hebrews 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
They were rebellious. They murmured. They disobeyed. They would not go in. They accused God of having evil motives. He's evil. He just wants to kill us. He hates us. They had God all messed up in their foolish brains. And the author of Hebrews points at all that and says, so let us today strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Hebrews applies this directly to us and says this, make sure you're really a believer. Make sure you're following Jesus Christ wholly, like Caleb, who has wholly followed the Lord. All right, I have a closing question for you. Here it is. We'll put it up. Are you, then, a rebelling, murmuring, unbelieving Israelite or Gentile? Or are you a holy, following Caleb Joshuaite? Which are you? Based on where you are with God right now, which group would you have been in then? Would you have been with Caleb? Would you have been with Joshua? Or would you have been in the large group that rebelled and murmured at God, who did not really believe? Which group would you be in? Do you really believe the gospel and all of God's word? Do you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, I pray that you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and follow him wholly and die strong in the Lord. Amen. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your holy presence and this time in your word. We pray that you might use this portion of your word to save sinners in this room, to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Spirit gospel power. And those of us who do name the name of Jesus Christ, oh, Father, we pray that you would make us the Joshua and Caleb kind, that we would bow our knees and not murmur, but confess your Lord. You're our Lord and our God, and we would have no other. So, Father, give us grace that we may follow faithfully. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, with thanksgiving. Amen.